Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. My passion was a lot stronger uh-huh. than anything that came with getting bit, you know what I mean? Honestly, getting bit is like a part of the thrill a lot of times right. for me. Yeah. There's rarely a python hunt I don't get bit, you know what I mean? It's just kind of a part of it and um it's just i'm not concerned about getting really bit now some of these bigger animals obviously i'm being more careful i don't want to pay for hospital or anything like that a lot of times i'm sewing myself up which i'm not a huge fan of so uh you know i'm definitely being careful but my main concern when i'm handling these animals is focused on them keeping them safe and making sure they don't get away and escape from me if i got to take a bite in the process we can deal with that later so this is Trapper Mike, and you're watching the Tom Roland Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I've got an awesome one today. Somebody I follow on Instagram. His name is Trapper Mike. He also goes by the Python Cowboy. His name's Mike Kimmel, and he is a very interesting dude that is a state-contracted python hunter in the Everglades. He does so much else besides that, and he has a tremendous amount of knowledge about native wildlife versus invasive species and why we need to get rid of some of the invasive species, the problems they're causing, all kinds of very, very interesting stuff that, uh, I don't know, I learned a ton. And Mike is a cool guy that uh, communicates really well, and he's got a lot that he can teach us all. So stand by for this conversation with Trapper Mike, the Python Cowboy, Mike Kimmel. Trapper Mike, what's going on, man? How are you? Good, good. How you doing? Man, I'm doing I'm doing great. I uh, couldn't be doing better. I follow you on Instagram and have for a while. Man, you are 
You're a wild man. You're an interesting character and you're doing you're doing some amazing things, man. I got to I got to find out um more about what's going on with you. Um Oh, man, happy to share for sure. Yeah. So so you are, well, why don't you tell me? I from from outward appearances, you're a state contracted hunter of python and other invasive species is that is that fair to say or would tell me what tell me what you would cl- classify yourself yeah, as um, it's definitely confusing you know it's hard there's kind of a lot to explain with it because it's it's all across the board um as far as what i'm state contracted for i'm just contracted by the state for the pythons um they're actually currently um working on a hog program and they're considering me for that as well which i'm excited about but um, all the hog work I do, all the iguana work I do, even um, a lot of like the monitors, Egyptian geese, basically everything outside of pythons is almost always a private contract okay. where it's either from a private homeowner or more often it's an entire property, an entire community, an entire ranch, an entire farm, something like that. Because for a lot of these invasive species, me targeting just one person's house it don't make no sense. And I'm not trying to, you know, sell these people a dream basically. Right. So I like to get everybody on board. It's usually, you know, um, gated communities and things like that for the whole community. And, uh, the iguanas have been keeping me very busy lately. Yeah. Well, I guess so. Um, so let's, uh, let's rewind just a little bit. So Mm -hmm. you, you kind of happened upon this, this, um, well, first of all, I want to tell people, I usually wait until the very end, but you have, um, you have so much good social media and tell everybody how they could follow you and where they could see your stuff. Because I want people like right now to go and check out what you're doing and see, see like what we're talking about, because so yeah. much of this, like you got to see it for yourself. <laughs> you got these giant snakes and all this stuff that you're getting out of the Everglades. How would, how would people follow you? Where, where do they follow you? Um, Python Cowboys, my Instagram and, uh, my YouTube's also Python Cowboy. I would say that that's your best bet for getting, you know, kind of an idea of everything. And I appreciate that for sure, because dude, it's, it's hard to explain everything I got going on. And, uh, you know, people kind of need to follow it for a little while to see, cause it's not just me going out and removing these animals. I get them back to the ranch. I try to rescue them. I try to keep them alive. I try to use them as education. Or if I'm forced to euthanize, I'm making use of the skin. I'm making use of the meat, the bones, everything. And that's become a whole nother, you know, kind of facet to it is my side hustles and everything on the back end. Um, And that's what really fuels the conservation. Yeah. Well, let's talk about like how you got into this line of work. Um, It's always something I've been interested in. Uh, even as a kid, um, I had like 20 reptiles, snakes, chameleons, geckos, anything you can imagine. And, uh, anything I didn't know, I was trying to run around and catch it and turn it into a pet. You know what I mean? Uh, I used to actually breed and sell these reptiles. A lot of the reptiles I'm hunting today, um, and sell them for allowance money and things like that. So for me, it's kind of come full circle, you know, yeah. So where did um, wait, where did you where did you grow up? I grew up in Martin County, okay. uh, Stewart, Florida. Okay. Yeah, born and raised. So this has and, gone um, full circle back to kind of the first kind of um things that you were getting in pet stores or seeing in pet stores. Now those things are running wild in in Florida. Yes. Yes, from irresponsible pet owners and um you know them escaping, them being released, 
things like that. Hurricanes destroying pet stores, facilities where they're escaping zoos, all kinds of stuff. You yeah. know what I mean? So let's, let's um, touch on that for just a second. So Florida is obviously, um, it's a wonderful state for growing things. Like it's warm all the time. You've got this Everglades area. You've got tons of food for lots of stuff. And probably from wherever these things are from, I wouldn't imagine, I mean, part of the problem, I guess, is that they don't have the natural predators that they would have in their, their home turf. Not right? only that, um, it's our wildlife here has no natural instincts from, um, to defend against these predators. So it's like in their native range, it's a little bit tougher for them to catch and kill animals than it is here. Here, it's just a buffet. These animals have no idea. These animals will walk right up to these big pythons and try to step over them. You know what I mean? And it's just, um, they, they have no natural defenses and that's just what has totally, you know, kind of allowed them to get a grip and keep the grip and, and take over. And that goes with with a lot of the invasive species, like our Nile monitors and everything like that. They just take over because, you know, a, a rabbit's not expecting this six foot litter lizard to charge in their den and just destroy them and their babies. God. So um, it's you know, it's it's been a very serious thing for sure. Yeah. And so I want to back up one thing. One one thing I want to know is at what point did the state of Florida get really serious about this and realize it's a problem? But let's touch on that in just a second. I want to know, like, when you're a kid, when did you kind of get over the fear of getting bit by all of these things? Because, I mean, I had a garter snake when I was a kid, and that thing bit me, and I swear I was like, you know, that's like the the most harmless snake there is on the planet, right? But it scared the crap out of me, and I didn't want anything to do with snakes anymore. So somewhere along the line, you got over that real fast. I don't even know if it's, I, I got over it. I think it was always, my passion was a lot stronger uh-huh. than anything that came with getting bit. You know what I mean? Honestly, getting bit is like a part of the thrill. A lot of times right. for me, right. there's rarely a Python hunt. I don't get bit. You know what I mean? It's just kind of a part of it. And, um, it's just, I'm not concerned about getting really bit. Now, some of these bigger animals, obviously I'm being more careful. I don't want to pay for hospital or anything like that. A lot of times I'm sewing myself up, which I'm not a huge fan of. So, uh, you know, I'm definitely being careful. But my main concern when I'm handling these animals is focused on them, keeping them safe and making sure they don't get away and escape from me. If I got to take a bite in the process. We can deal with that later, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's kind of what it is. I'd say the passion of it just keeps it you know, on track. Yeah. It's interesting to say that. Cause I'm not afraid of getting bit by a fish, like a barracuda or even a shark. Like there I could take go. a shark bite, but you know, some people would just be like, I don't want to be six feet from that thing. Well, that's how I feel yeah. about the snakes. Like, I don't know. It's like a, it's a thing, you know, in, in somebody's head. Freak me out way more than any reptile, any land animal, alligator. I'll swim with an alligator before I'll swim with a shark any day. Yeah. Well, that's, it's interesting. I would go the other, I would go the other (laughs) way, but you know, it's a good thing that we, there's, there's people that like sharks and there's a good thing that people like alligators. So, um, when you, uh, when you, you know, you're going from a kid to like, when's the first time that you, you got some money, like this was actually like a paying gig to go catch something. Um, I would say after my teens, I mean, as a kid, I was making money selling these animals, which is kind of, you know, is what I use today. A lot of times is those, 
you know, salesman skills, things like that, trying to figure out how to make a dollar out of these animals after I catch them. Um, but as far as actually paid for a removal, it, it wasn't until maybe, you know, my later teens or even 20s where I'm really starting to build my business. And uh, even when I started my business, it, you know, people don't understand wildlife work. It, it, there ain't much money in it if you're doing it the way I'm going about it. There's a lot of people out here doing it dishonestly. And basically, at the end of the day, they're just doing construction work on homes, keeping animals out. That's not what I want to do. Um, in my line of work, there's not really much money in it unless you can really turn a profit. So, um, you know, it's, it's something where you, you know, I take everything from when I was a kid, use that. And then I started doing a lot of these jobs is for free when I started out trying to build a name, trying to build my company, um, let, you know, build this reputation, show people I'm trustworthy, trying to hustle these animals on the back end. Then I build my company, have my reputation, land a first real contract gig. And, you know, that's when we start to, to charge money and make money. But even then, it's it's always a struggle. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but, was, uh, yeah, it's been the last decade really building building the company. Yeah. And so that first gig, what was the what was the this, the problem? Animal? I, I think the first real paying gig was iguanas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, about maybe like 10 years ago, something now, like that. Now a lot of people, um, you know, that are not from Florida don't understand, like, why the iguana is such a problem. Tell us, tell people that, you know, for the, for the purpose of somebody that might be listening in Ohio or, or California or something, why is, why has the iguana become such a problem in Florida? Yeah, the iguana is specifically a huge problem, just as much as the python, but in a, in a different aspect. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. They see the iguana and they just see a pet and they're like, why are you killing these things? All they do is they eat flowers at the very worst, which that may not sound that bad, but they cause millions of dollars in landscape damage every single year. But that's that's not why I'm removing them. I, I couldn't care too much about that. Um, what they're really doing is they're, they're digging these burrows, undermining sidewalks, seawalls, um, housing foundations, anything, uh, roadways, levees. Davy alone just spent $1.7 million last year repairing um, iguana damage to just their levees. And that's just Davy. Wow. So you can see across the board what they're causing. And it does not stop there. Um, they are affecting native wildlife, which a lot of people don't understand. A lot of people don't think they do because they don't prey on native wildlife. That doesn't mean they don't affect it. How do they I affect it? There, I, oh, I've watched big bull iguanas chase down and attack native animals. I've sat there and watched them go inside um, other animals' burrows, destroy their nest, and lay their nest. Um, a very common species they do that to is a gopher tortoise and a burrowing owl. Both are threatened species in the state of Florida. So they're pushing them closer to being endangered. Um, and on top of that, they crap everywhere. Yeah. It's unreal, dude. It really yeah. is. It's nasty. And their feces can contain salmonella and all kinds of other illnesses. So as a small population, they're not that big of a deal. But as soon as they explode, and they will every time in these communities, they come calling and they're like, holy cow, we didn't think it was going to be a problem. We're up to our eyes in iguana poop. You know what I mean? What do we do? Um, our sidewalks are cracking. Our seawalls are falling. 
And uh, once it becomes that bad of a situation, it takes a lot to get it under control and you'll never get it totally under control. Mm -hmm. You may have it managed, but it's going to be something you have to constantly manage. And that's why it's so important to nip it in the butt before it becomes a huge problem. That's another thing people don't understand. Just because an invasive species isn't a problem now doesn't mean five years down the road, they're not going to be the biggest problem the state of Florida has. Right. Right. So, you know, that's really what we're looking at with the iguanas. Well, I've already learned something about the iguanas, like some of their behavior and how damaging that is. Let's talk about some of the other um, problem animals that you're seeing, you're routinely going after and what their effect is on on uh, native wildlife or structures. Like like that was pretty interesting with the, the seawalls and stuff like that. Because, I mean, those yeah. seawalls, not only are they very expensive, but you got to get a permit and then you got to get a permit to fix them. I mean... That's a real problem, dude. It's a lot. It is a lot. And people don't understand that. You know what I mean? They look at just the face value and they don't see everything else that goes into it. And, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot for sure. Um, you know, and like you said, it's not just the iguanas. There's a lot of other stuff we're dealing with. Um, the Mexican spiny tail iguanas are the new up and coming species. I'm starting to see them everywhere from Martin County down to Homestead. Um, and they do the same thing, except they're, very aggressive they will actually chase you down to try to bite you really which is very uncommon for an iguana now how big are these iguana the ones that you're uh, talking about right quite there as big as the green iguana but um they're a formidable opponent for sure they get four or five feet you know Dang. Uh, tip to tip and Dang. they have a mouthful of teeth to back it up really so, um yeah actually a, a buddy of mine well a buddy of a buddy um they went, I guess, trying to capture them over in Central America or something like that. I think where they're native, they were over there and they wanted to capture one. He grabbed a big nail. It turned around, bit his hand. He ended up with like, I don't know the amount of stitches, but I was very impressed by the number. And his whole hand was just filleted open. Like you, you took a bubble blade and just opened them wow. up. You so, see the whole inner workings of his hand. And So how do those know. end up here? That seems like the worst pet you could possibly have. <laughs> Like, who would want that? How does it well, how does it get here? From from the pet trade, you know. Um, they're they're beautiful. They're very beautiful. I think they're even more beautiful than the green iguana. And kept in captivity, you know, fed and handled, it's gonna be a different animal than a feral, wild um Mexican spiny tail iguana. Same thing with a feral iguana versus a pet iguana. You know, it's a big difference. Yeah. Uh, a feral iguana is not going to let you pick them up. A feral iguana is going to run away from you or he's going to scratch the living hell out of you and try to bite you. So, um, you know, it's a big difference. And the prime example of that is the black and white Argentina tegu. They have a big population down in Homestead, but they've been really controlled up until this point from private trappers, people that aren't even getting paid from anybody. They come down from Orlando, they come down from Georgia, they come down from all over the United States to come down here, set these traps and trap these tegus for free. The reason they do this is so they can take these wild tegus and sell them as pets. The tegus are very unique because even if born in the wild, raised in the wild to an adult, they're super mean, super skittish. After a few months of working with them, feeding them, handling them, They're very intelligent and they actually can tame down to pets. Hmm. The big problem with that now is the state of Florida just made iguanas and tegus illegal. So all of that goes away. 
All those private trappers are no longer coming down here, trapping them for free, controlling the population. I expect to see in the next few years the Tegu population to spread out of Homestead into Boca, into Fort Lauderdale, Palm Beach, all the surrounding areas. And it's going to become a big problem, especially for the Everglades, because the Tegus, they prey almost exclusively on eggs and meat. So they're hunting down eggs, crocodile eggs, alligator eggs, bird eggs, and all of those species are very important to our ecosystem. Yeah. So when so, when when they yeah. make it illegal like that, wouldn't there wouldn't that almost automatically spawn a, a black market for the things? I mean, so people couldn't people couldn't be trapping as in as openly as they are, but don't you expect that some people are going to I mean that would almost make them more valuable, right? Absolutely. Well, so what happens is you're going to have illegal activity and uh, with the illegal activity comes irresponsible owners. Yeah. So basically you're cutting out all the responsible owners and just keeping the irresponsible owners. And now you're causing people that this may scare them to dump, dump their reptile now oh, because yeah. it's illegal. Yeah. So it's, it's the worst thing they could have done. And it's something we've been fighting for years. They've been trying to get it underway for the past five years or more, probably. And it's everyone in the reptile community and, and kind of wildlife industry that that knows has always been against it. Um, you know, they made the Burmese python illegal and it just made the problem worse. Yeah. And I expect to see this iguana and take you probably explode. So in your opinion, with with the experience of the iguana, of, of the uh, um, python, uh, what would be the answer? What's what is a better what is a better kind of uh, policy? Definitely not to discourage these free trappers coming down. Um, you know, these tegus can only survive in in small area of South Florida, and they're shipping them all out of state. So it, it they're not you know changing anything with that. They're just taking away a solution. We need to be adding solutions, not taking them away. We need to um, have more state funded programs like the Python program. We need to be encouraging hunters to go out on their own and try to make money from these animals because there is value in the skin, in the meat and everything like that. Um, and with all these different rules, laws, regulations they have and lack of access they give us, it, it makes it impossible. What it does is it stacks all the odds in the favor of the invasive species. Mm -hmm. The Burmese python wasn't that big of a problem, you know, before the 90s. What did they do? They turned it into a national park, kicked all the gladesmen out of the Everglades, all the eyes and ears in the Everglades, and then the pythons just took over. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's what we have to stop from happening again with these other species. So right now, in uh, that's what I've, I've always kind of haven't really fully understood and would like to understand better. But the Everglades National Park, you know, you hear people talk about the Everglades. They're not necessarily talking about the Everglades National Park. There's a big area that people would consider the Everglades, right? right. So like when somebody like, um, I don't know, I see other people, not just you. I follow other people that are like, well, I went on a python hunt tonight in the Everglades. So is it legal to harvest a, a python out of the Everglades for just a regular person, like the, out of the Everglades National Park? Is that National legal? Park, no. Okay, so it, you, there's it, no harvest. Person Yep. If a normal person is inside the national park and they see an 18 foot python killing a native deer, they can take a picture and keep going. Wow. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Which I'm, I'm very against. Um, I know why they do it. 
They do it because they're worried about people killing native species, thinking it's a python, things like that. Um, but we need to punish the action and and not make it harder to do the action. So, you know, we make it legal to remove the python, but you obviously keep it illegal to remove any other snake. So right. that's, you know, we make that that known and it is known. So anybody going out there to hunt the python, they're going to take it upon themselves to make sure they're making the right decision. Otherwise, they're going to face consequences. Right. And, and that's what we really need to do. There's there's it's easy to tell the difference between a python and a native species. Um, we now have so many different classes that that people can take and all the awareness on social media and the news People know what a python python is by this point. Mm-hmm. You, you're not going to mistake a, a ten foot snake, you know, for a native. You know what I mean, right? Um, and it's it's something we got to work on more for sure. Um, we don't want to just send a bunch of people into the national park gun ho by any means. And that's what they kind of make it seem like. There's only two options: either nothing at all or rednecks with shotguns. Right. And that that's not so, you know what I mean? By any means. Yeah. So, so, um, so a, uh, but someone like, do they, someone like you, that's a, that's a state contracted hunter. Can you go into the Everglades national park and, and hunt there? I, I can. Yeah. Um, and this is actually just a new change. So there's two different programs, the South Florida water management program and the FWC program, which they're now aligning both of them. So all the rules are slowly becoming the same, but this past three years, I haven't been able to go in the national park and remove them. Um, And even now inside the national park, I'm not allowed to keep the Python, which for me, that that's half my profit is off the skin, the meat and everything like that. Um, Now I would like to clarify, we're talking about the national park. That's, you know, a quarter, maybe half of the Everglades, right? Um, The Everglades stretches all the way up to technically Lake Kissimmee, but it, you know, it's more or less um, Lake Okeechobee bottom and down. So we have all the different conservation areas, WMAs around the national park that the general public and all the Python contractors can hunt. Now, the general public in a lot of these conservation areas, they're going to need keys to access the levees to drive, um, which only the Python contractors like myself have. But they can still get out there and bicycle. They can still get out there and boat. And they can still drive the public levees in the trucks, which honestly, um, which a lot of people are going to want to know this, especially people wanting to get into python hunting. Right now, the public roads are producing more pythons than anywhere else. Tamiami Trail, um, west of the casino, all the way to Everglades City, pythons are crossing that highway, that levee all night. And people can just drive up and down with the lights on the side of the road. And I promise you're going to pick up a couple. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Wow. Yeah, Man, that they're just they're just thick. Right yeah. Now. Um, so you know, people always ask me if we think we're getting a handle on it. Um, if you know, we're there's a light at the end of the tunnel or not. This past three years, I've seen a big increase in the native wildlife. 
which to me is like, it's working. You and know so what what's I mean? the, what's kind of the harbinger of that for you? Like the one, the bellwether native wildlife that you're seeing more of that you're kind of seeing, okay, this, this is happening like rats or deer or what, what is the, the one that you look we're, for? We're starting to see everything. The first two years I didn't, I literally saw nothing, not one rabbit, not one raccoon, not one possum, not one otter, nothing, not one squirrel, nothing, dude. Wow. Unreal. Um, like in a place in a place that should be super abundant with oh wildlife, yeah, I'm right? driving like, these levees that stretch 20 miles or more out into the middle of the Everglades, and they're just levees with trees that wildlife should be all over because it's a high spot in the swamp, and there's just nothing. Wow. Um, now in these areas we've been hitting, I'm I've seen raccoons this past year. I'm seeing I'm starting to see rabbits, which is like the big telltale for me is the rabbits, um, squirrels otters everything you know what i mean um and before the only thing i was seeing was rats because that's all that could keep up with with the pythons is the rats breeding out there yeah what about okay go ahead sorry i didn't want to so you know this last year i've seen this huge boost in wildlife and i'm like dude we're crushing it we're doing it you know there's a light at the end of the tunnel i don't think there's as many pythons as we think but this hatching season we've never caught so many pythons Mm. it is unreal so I'm almost backpedaling on what I've been saying, but I, I think what's going on is this. We've taken out a majority of the large pythons. So they're the ones eating the raccoons, eating the rabbits, eating the bigger stuff, the stuff that, that basically is larger than rats. They laid eggs, you know, they bred, all those nests have been hatching. All those hatchings that are really hard to find are getting bigger and are starting. We're starting to see them more and catching them more because all the sizes we're catching are like hatchling to a couple year old python, which is going to be like you know eight foot maybe. And the feet in two years. Oh yeah, and in the first year they're six foot. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, And in the first year, everything I was catching was over ten foot. So what I think has happened is we, we have hit them hard. We've taken out the majority of the big ones, which is, dude, helping the wildlife you would, like you wouldn't believe. The little ones are still eating the rats. They're starting to show their ugly faces more, so it seems like we got a ton of them. And as we keep working on these little ones, it'll all trickle down to where, hey, we're not catching as many now. It's looking a lot better across the board with sizes and everything like that. And honestly, even if we are constantly managing these little ones, which we're going to be. Hey, that's not the worst thing in the world. They're eating rats and things like that. As long as they're not preying on our raccoons, preying on our larger species that are struggling so bad, we, we can work with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what about the, uh, you said that for a while you weren't able to hunt in the national park, but there's been a rule change and now you can hunt in the national park. What about when you first started going in there what were you seeing like when there was a lack of any pressure on these these snakes? What was it looking like when you first got back in there? Um, well, for me, I've, I've never wanted to hunt in the national park for the sole reason I know I can't keep my pythons. Okay. To me, I don't. I and I personally think they're probably wasting them. They probably do a little research on them and then toss them. Okay. I don't like stuff being waste. It, it bothers me, especially when I know how valuable the skin is. Um, so I don't really hunt in the national park that much, but I know other people that do. And there's always been volunteers in the park removing them and park rangers and things like that. So there's always been a little pressure on them. Um, and inside the national park, you really can't leave the main road. Mm. 
So it, it's not really like the best hunting in the world by right. any means. Okay. I prefer other areas because I like getting off the levee. I like exploring and doing stuff like that. And I, I have good luck like that. Yeah. So a lot of people, um, you know, the, the animal trade, they bring in snakes of all kinds, like cobras and boa constrictors. And I don't know, I don't, I mean, probably some of the most dangerous snakes, you know, people want to, people want to have the weirdest things. Like, I don't understand it, but they want to cap, keep some of this captive. Why is it that the Python is the one that has really taken off and, and we don't have like an overabundance of cobras or an overabundance of boa constrictors, or maybe we do, I don't know. Well, that's a very good question. And we do have, um, you know, breeding populations of other species, the red tail boa. Um, there's a population down in Miami in a gated community that, you know, I could go out there and probably catch one or two in a night. Um, and then you have uh, rainbow boas um, in homestead, small populations, but nothing compares to the python, obviously. You know what I mean? The python is the problem. Um, the reason being in the 90s and before it was illegal, the Burmese python was the most popular snake mm, to have. Yeah. They're easy to take care of. They're great eaters. They grow super fast. They can be tamed down very good, very easily. Um, not obviously captured from the wild, but um, and you know, they're healthy and they're an easy pet to have, and they just get massive. So that's like, you know, kind of cool and impressive. When they get that massive, people don't know what to do. Right. Pigs are expensive, goats are expensive. How do you feed this thing unless you're willing to spend a couple hundred dollars a month? Most people aren't. They release them or they escape. They're master escapers. Um, I've talked with some of these old school reptile guys like Strictly Reptiles and, and, you know, these guys that have been doing this for a living for decades. You know, they are the guys in the reptile industry. They said it wasn't a thing for them to get a shipment of a thousand Burmese pythons in and it'd be gone in a week, every wow. single week. Thousand, thousand, thousand. So that shows how many were being pushed out. You know what I mean? And um, I think that's what's been been the main contributor to it. And just the fact that how good of survivors they are. These they're they're unbelievable because they come from the reptile trade. They have higher immunities, they have higher appetites, they have higher sex drives, they lay bigger clutches of eggs. Um, and they're just more resistant to diseases and illnesses and parasites in general. So they're like a super snake out there. You know what I mean? Wow. And they've just taken over. So the Python is obviously someplace where you're spending a lot of time, but man, looking at your Instagram and your videos and stuff like that, you're, you're, you're going after all kinds of other things. We talked about the iguana, but there's like armadillos. There's, there's, um, th these monitor lizards that, that are coming in like the one, post that I particularly thought was very interesting was um, the monitor lizard that you caught. And you were like, yeah, I get pe people tell me they've got one of these is probably, it usually turns out to be a little baby alligator or something mm -hmm. else. But this Good one, one this one was the real deal. And then that thing, basically from your caption, it kicked your ass <laughs> trying to, <laughs> trying to get it this thing. To. I mean, those, that looks like a nasty creature, man. The monitor lizard what is the what is the status of those things right now? So uh, there's a, a couple different species of monitor lizards. Now the one that's currently illegal is the Nile monitor, and wouldn't you know it, that's the one that we have the biggest problem with. Um, the other ones, the white throat monitor, the black throat monitor, savanna monitor, the Asian water monitor, they're 
the exact same lizard. Um, they just have a little different pattern or their head might be shaped a little different. They're the same lizard, but we don't have breeding populations of them mm. because they're not illegal. You know what I mean? Interesting. Um, so for example, when I was going to get this monitor, I got a call from a homeowner and it was actually kind of funny because I've been on the hunt for what I thought was a Nile monitor in, in Martin County, um, kind of around that area. So when I got the call that, Hey, we just seen a Nile monitor or we just seen a monitor. I'm like, Oh, you know, this we're on to something. Normally I'm a lot more skeptical. Um, and the reason I kind of believe that we were on to something is they said it has the pattern of an alligator, but it is a hundred percent, not an alligator. They said they could see the head sticking out of the generator box. Hmm. I know the area. There's not a lot of water nearby. It's not going to be an alligator. And I don't know of any green iguanas in that area, which sometimes they could mistake it for. So to me, it, it was hopeful. And not only that is it was still inside of an enclosed box hmm. or something that I don't think it's going to disappear by the time I get there. So it was in a stainless steel generator box on the side of their house. Took me about an hour to get there. There was like a whole crowd of people when I showed up, basically. Um, they showed me where it's at. I set up uh, some traps. There's two holes on each side of it. So I set up traps on either end in case it bolted out. You know what I mean? My experience is capturing Nile monitors. I've captured a few before. They're extremely fast. They're extremely wily. And it's unlike anything I've ever captured before. Um, the first time I grabbed one, he started to try to twist off his own head in my hand and just wow. their pure muscle. He just spun me out of his hand, flipped out of my hand, took off running. I dove on him, grabbed him, got his tail and his head. And then he, he folds his body in half on himself. Like he's got no bones folds in on himself, trying to you know bite the living crap out of me. And I just had to kind of wrestle with him for a good 10, 15 minutes. And I was just blown away by the way this thing moved and the power it had. So I'm keeping this in my mind as I'm getting ready to open this box. I brought my lead dog with me, Moose, um, who's actually helped me capture a Nile monitor before. So I got a little bit of backup in case this thing spins out of my hand and takes off. I'll be able to use him to track it down and help me capture it. So I positioned him behind me. I have all the, the homeowners around me watching slowly open up this stainless steel box, look down inside. And I could tell right away, it's not a Nile monitor, but it's a big white throat monitor, which for me was extra cool because I know I can keep it without having to worry about getting special licensing, which I can get. I, I've had it before. I just need to renew it. Um, and what's going to be really cool for me is it's, it's a lot more relaxed with me bringing this thing places because it's not controlled. So I can bring it to special events with kids, things like that, use it as education kind of give it a new life and not have to put a bullet in his head. The last thing I want to do as a reptile lover is catch a big, cool monitor and just kill it. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. To me, that just sucks. So I'm super excited. I'm going to be able to keep it as a pet, but I got to get it out of this box first. And I don't know if it's friendly, if it's not friendly, how long it's been in the wild. Um, I'm expecting it not to have been born in the wild just because I don't know of any breeding populations of white throats, especially in Martin County. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm expecting to be kind of tame, but I don't know. Uh, I get my hand on it. I could instantly tell it's not tame. It was hissing, pissed off, 
trying to chomp my fingers. And dude, when this thing tries to bite me, it sounds like I'm dropping a damn Bible on the kitchen floor. Like just wow. You know what I mean? Wow. So I'm like, I don't want to get tagged by this thing and monitors. They're notorious for when they bite, they don't let go. So, um, he's worked his way underneath the generator. He's like sprawling out using leverage. I can't get him out. Maybe after like 15, 20 minutes of even having the homeowner help me a little bit, which he wasn't too thrilled about. <laughs> we got this sucker out. He's, you know, lunging at me. I get him under control and, uh, I'm stoked. The homeowner stoked. Every moose is stoked. And, uh, you know, it went really good and got him back to the ranch. I was already in the process of building an enclosure for some crazy reptile I caught, you know, expecting I'm going to catch one and, um, finished it up, put him in there and he eats a big old rat every other day. And he's a lot of fun. Wow. So it's cool. That's, yeah. that's awesome. So it's interesting how you use your dogs. How many dogs do you have? Uh, with the three new puppies I got last week, we have 15. 15 dogs. So do you have any sort of uh, uh, hunting background with dogs like like uh, coon hunting or, or anything like, like that? Where does, uh, the, where does all the dog bit, come from? Not really. Um, more is just owning dogs and training dogs, um, more so than even using them as hunting. Hmm. What's really got me to use them as hunting is um, my girlfriend and her dad, Allie and Go-Kart Ricky, Cougar Girl and Go-Kart Ricky. Um, dude, you can't, you can't make this up like go-kart, go-kart go Ricky. <laughs> yeah. sure. uh, they actually call him go-kart Ricky because he drives his big two and a half ton swamp buggy, like a damn go-kart all around the fucking swamp. Gotcha. So, um, so they've been doing it. I mean, their whole lives based Allie, Allie, literally her whole life. She was six months old in a car seat on the old go-kart swamp buggy, you know, crushing and catching hogs. So, um, you know, it's something they've been doing forever. I love doing it with them and the conservation work I do. I'm like, dude, you know, we're using these dogs to catch the hogs, you know, and it helps the ecosystem. I'm going to start using them on jobs. I'm going to start using them for everything. And since I have, it's been a game changer. Um, you know, we have this dog Otto who helps me big time on the iguanas, on the Egyptian geese, on tracking deer. Moose helps me with tracking deer. Um, and you know, people are going to get confused when I say deer, because it's like, well, deer's not an invasive species, but I, you know, I do more than even just invasive species. It's, it's general Florida conservation. And because of how Florida has been so developed, you know, I have to manage native species now for the health of the population of that species, for the health of the ecosystem and for the health of our infrastructure and state. So what, um, what would be an example of where you were, you were going after deer that they were a problem, like a, in, um, a, in a community or something? Um, not so much in a community, um, but more or less for, for a farm or, or a population where, or an area where the population of deer is so plentiful that they're inbreeding, they're starting to get health issues, things like that. Um, I'll come in there and I'll, thin out the population, get it to a healthier state along with the help of a state biologist that's basically permitting me for how many I can remove and stuff like that. Um, more so than not, it's, it's for a farm where the deer have exploded out of control, the population's unhealthy, and now in the surrounding areas, they're devastating the crops, like costing 
farmers hundreds of thousands of dollars every single year. Yeah. So when you so, have a when you have an issue like that, do you have to take them out one at a time, or is there any way to to trap them or do anything? Like I know that some people can trap hogs. But yeah, you can trap the hogs. Trapping the deer usually ain't too successful. Um, and I, I, I don't do it that way. I don't trap the deer. You it's know, one what at I, mean? a time. Um, I have a lot more luck hunting them. I go out. I have uh, thermal scopes, suppressors on my rifles. I use subsonic ammo, so it sounds like a BB gun basically. And um, I can go out there and drop a herd of three or four, one right after the other, basically. Yeah. Um, and you know, since we we're not trying to wipe them out by any means. We're trying to thin it out and get it back to a healthier state. So, so it's usually like you're not trying to remove the masses anyway. Right. You know, you're trying to s- slowly work your way there to see what looks right. So when you get in a situation like that and you said that sometimes you're working with a with a biologist, the biologist is going to come in there and he's going to say, we need to take out 50 or whatever the number is. And he's going to give you that number and then that's what you can take out generally he'll give me maybe like 10 tags at a time okay. and uh, I just keep replying for tags and he kind of sees, you know, because everything I'm reporting, um, it's all uh, before I even head out, I call them, let them know what weapons I have, what truck I'm in, who I'm with, how long we're going to be out afterwards. I let them know how many I got male, female weight, everything like that. Um, and even recently I've been cutting off the deer heads you know, dude, we get some monster trophies that you're just like, damn, I want to put it on my wall, but you can't, you're not allowed to trophy hunt using the deer tags. You're actually by law, you have to leave the cape and the head with the rack on site where you killed it. You're not allowed to take it. But, um, I've been working with state biologists and I've actually been giving them the heads and they're testing them for, um, chronic wasting disease and all these other illnesses. And that's kind of our, our, you know, our protection, our forefront against these diseases working the way in is people like me, hunters like me out there removing these deer, managing the population and having these animals tested. So we see a problem before it becomes a problem. Yeah. And And what, what, what's the status of the wasting disease that that you're seeing? Or or is there anything that other than the wasting disease that, that we should be concerned about with the deer? Yeah, um, there, there's all all kinds of stuff they can get, um, all kind of neurological diseases, uh, you know, brain diseases, and and even um, other stuff, respiratory, you know, guts, everything like that. By no means am I an expert on all that stuff by any means. Uh, you know, I just kind of go with what they want. And right now, the main thing they're testing for is the chronic wasting disease. I know that's always what they're real worried about because we see in other states it just totally take over. We're very fortunate down here in Florida. We don't have too many issues with our deer, but that's because we work very hard at managing them properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So another thing that you're spending some time on are the hogs. Um, and they've been an invasive species for a long time. They cause all kinds of problems. Tell, tell us a little bit about like the, the situation with the hogs and what kind of problems that they're causing for landowners or like a national park or whatever. Like why is the hog bad? Um, so yeah, the hog definitely can be bad. Uh, I actually like the hog hog in small numbers, which hog in small numbers is just hog in big numbers waiting to happen. So, you know what I mean? I like having, to me, it's like almost like a deer. It's a nice game animal to have. It's a great resource. Florida has the meat is fabulous and it's easily harvested. You know what I mean? Um, you can even catch them and keep them alive in a pen and fatten them up, which is, is what I do. 
Um, but they they can be a, an, an amazing problem um, because they get in these large numbers and how they eat, they use their nose to shovel up the ground, which doesn't sound like a big deal. But if you were to see some of this destruction, it's unbelievable. It literally looks like a, a, a big tractors come in and just tilled up the whole ground to the point where it's actually unusable in a lot of cases you can't even get in there to fix it unless you're bringing a whole bunch of heavy equipment that's just going to cost un unbelievable amounts of money and even then it'll be a lot of work um and you can't mow it you can't do anything after that it, it just devastates the land a lot of times i'm being brought in to remove them because they're ripping up farms they're eating all the crops or they're coming into these gated communities and golf courses tearing up the golf course tearing up the green tearing up these people's lawns and you know it's what they do is devastating you know they'll turn your your lawn into just a big old ditch and it's just you, you can't have it you know what i mean mm -hmm. especially with a lot of these hoas and poas they're not allowed to have your yard looking like that you right. know what i mean <laughs> so uh it's it's a big deal and you know what they also do is a lot of people don't understand they're extremely aggressive and they are meat eaters my hogs here on my ranch, they almost exclusively eat meat, iguana meat, python meat, hog oh, meat, wow. everything. You know what I mean? They're cannibals. They love it. And um, I've seen them carrying away a fawn to go eat. You know what I mean? So they're preying on native wildlife. They're killing native wildlife. I've been out there calling for coyotes with an electronic predator call, you know, mimicking the sound of a dying rabbit. Wouldn't you know it? Here comes a pack of three big old boar hogs wow. looking to they're power them down and eat them. So, um, you know, they, they have a lot of other consequences besides the agricultural and infrastructure damage and all that, you know? Yeah, man. Um, so you're, is most of your hunting that you're doing at night? Like you do a lot of night work, right? Oh yeah. It, it's 24 <laughs> seven. It's, uh, it's all day, all night, morning, everything. Yeah. But how do you, how do you kind of get your schedule for the week going? Do you have any idea what's going to happen this week or is it kind of, call by call, yeah, a lot of times, like whatever, whatever, whatever's yeah. the problem. I'm on it, man. Yeah. A lot of times, you know, I might know this week or I might know three days ahead, but a lot of times it's like what's coming, which can be stressful, man. A lot of times I don't know if bills are getting paid next month. They've been getting paid. Thank the Lord. But, um, you know, it, there's nothing written in stone for me at all, man. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of stuff, emergency calls coming in, new jobs coming in. And a lot of it is pre-existing contracts that I can go to on my leisure whenever I want. So I keep them in my back pocket to fill in days that I don't have a call coming in for something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like the um, Python contract with the state, almost all my iguana contracts, a lot of my hog contracts, they're all freestanding to when I can get in there and manage them. Mm -hmm. All that takes a long time to build up though. I mean, to have all these, you know, deals where you can, you know, go get some geese off of a golf course, I guess. What about those Egyptian geese? I was going to ask you that because the Egyptian geese, we see a lot of, uh, uh, of Canada geese sometimes on golf courses that people don't like either because they cause all well, kinds of problems. Well, the Canadian geese are protected under the Migratory Bird Act. Right. But so um, they migrate down here. The African Egyptian geese, they don't. They're strictly from the pet trade, so they're open season. But that doesn't mean go out there and just whack a whack a bunch in in a park because mm -hmm. you, you'll get in trouble. You know well, I mean? opens when you say open season, so anybody could kill those 
Um, yep. As long as it's gone about legally. Okay. Which that's the little asterisk. Well, is there, do you have to get a license or what would be legally? You don't need anything, but you're not going to be allowed just to go to a public park and start killing these things, which or most of them are, or they're on private property. If they're on your private property, take them out. You know, uh, probably any means necessary mm-hmm. um, because it's on your property. Now, if it's outside your property, you can kill them. You can take them out, but you want to make sure you're doing it humanely. You got to be doing it legally because you most likely won't be able to use a firearm. Um, it may even be iffy you using an air rifle, which is what I use. Um, and you're going to have a lot of people really pissed off at you, probably calling the cops and the cops are probably going to want to have you stop so they don't have to answer any more calls. Mm -hmm. So, you know, while it's legal, you're allowed to do it. It's most likely not going to be very easy for you to do it. Right. Do you ever have any issues like that when you're, when you're doing your work, something that you're contracted for and people are like, what are you doing? Like, why are you killing that thing? I definitely have. Um, but generally I'm very careful. Um, you know, over this past decade, I've learned kind of how to go about it really, really properly. Um, I'm usually not shooting something in front of somebody else, um, just for sake of safety. And yeah, I don't, I don't want them to like claim they have psychological damage from, you know, people are crazy these days, dude, especially when it comes to animals, you know? So, um, I'm very careful about that. Anytime I'm carrying my air rifle, I carry it non-threatening down by my side by its rifle butt. I usually have a, a bright yellow reflective vest with my logo on it. Um, or, you know, if I see anybody, I quickly identify myself, wave, hey, I'm the iguana guy. I've been contracted by the community. Most likely they've already heard about me. And a lot of these communities, they're all very intrigued. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um Usually I'm good to go. Now, when I get these random where it's a single home in the middle of a community and none of the neighbors know what's going on, that's when I have more issues. But I'm not usually taking a bunch of jobs like that. Right. If they call me, I'm like, get the community on board and I'm there. Right. So, um, you know, it, it's kind of been a learning process to to eliminate all that. But, yeah, I used to get death threats. I used to get... Um, FWC coming to my house almost every single week because they've gotten a phone call from somebody saying that I'm doing this illegal and I'm, and I'm not. Um, so yeah, it's been a lot of growing pains, I guess you can say. Yeah. Now what about, what about like, I guess you'd call it a side hustle a little bit, like the YouTube thing and the Instagram and everything that you're building, you know, come becoming this, uh, you know, social media kind of star, that has to be kind of uh, uh, generating some income, I would imagine. Uh, does that just go kind of hand in hand? Like you, you do a great job at it, by the way. I mean, your Thank videos you. are awesome. I watch them. I think they're they're fantastic, especially like I mean, selfishly, especially when you get bit. Like that's that's pretty awesome. People love it. <laughs> I know people, people love, love to get watch somebody <laughs> get bit. Like you know, but they I mean, do. like when you caught that giant. You just caught this, the, the state record snake, like, right. That's, is it, did it hold the record? Um, so it's a state record for the Python program. I don't know if it's the official state record. Uh, I think there's one larger snake, but there's all kinds of skepticism behind that larger snake. Um, as far as its official length, where it was actually caught, um, I, there's suspicion it was actually caught in the national park illegally. So there's oh. all stuff in the air about that. But yeah, the Python caught is the the state programs. So uh, that right. thing was, how big was it? 17 foot, seven inches. 
Um, and that's without us pulling on it. That's literally just how it laid on the ground, which every other snake I've ever seen measured they're stretching. They're trying to get every inch out of it. So she was a true 17 foot seven. So in all of the, the pet trade and everything that you've seen in your life, uh, have you seen bigger ones than that or my buddy has, it's not a Burmese, it's a reticulated, but uh, I think it's like 22 foot, 300 pounds. It 300. Is, so dude, just a couple of feet longer and it doubles in weight. Well, or more than doubles. It's right. Stages, it's fed good. Wow. And it is, it is maybe, maybe 250, something like that. I say 300. I don't know if they've officially weighed it. Um, it is, it's unreal, dude. It is an absolute monster. Yeah. That's crazy. And so somebody that, that grows a snake like that, is and and which a quick plug sorry um if people want to go see that snake um it's you can go see it uh it's at like a little tourist attraction but it's like real small and kind of like personal feeling uh down in the everglades it's the um skunk ape uh research headquarters okay jack, jack Sheely owns it do they ever see the skunk ape because the man i would love to see a skunk ape even they more so than a 300 pound snake now. even more than a 300 pound snake i'd rather see the skunk ape you got to go there and talk to them. They got some pictures and videos. What about you? You ever seen one? Spend I spend a lot of time out there, man. I don't really believe the whole skunk ape thing too much. I think it's more mistaken identity. Um, but well, like right you know, behind you, you've got a black bear standing on its hind legs, kind of walking around. Looks. looks you ever kinda, seen one of them with mange? No. It looks like a damn skunk ape. I promise you. Yeah. So I have no seen I have seen them videos of of bears of all kind walking on their hand, hind legs, just walking yeah. with their hand, with their arms to the side like this, just walking along. There's one where it's walking right next to a bus, and they're going down the bus. I don't know if you've seen that video, <laughs> but they're going down the bus windows, and this thing's just walking next to it, and it looks like a person walking, like oh, with yeah. with a funny you know funny posture a little bit, but but. I mean, that could totally like be, yeah, I mean, it could yeah. totally be something like that, but Absolutely. I don't know. I mean, the skunk ape, you, you, it's interesting things like that, like the urban myths like that and the urban legends. It's, it's interesting that those are worldwide, that almost every culture has something, whether it's the chupacabra or the skunk sure. ape or Bigfoot or the Yeti or I don't know. I mean, Mothman, all of these yeah. things. And that's, that's where, that's where it's kind of like, well, I don't, I don't want to just say no like with if somebody from all of these cultures all around the world have these kind of mythical creatures that they can't quite put a finger on is it just are you too quick to just say that i don't i don't believe them. i mean you spend a ton of time out there and if you're like no, i've never seen anything like that okay i'm with you well i say i don't want to say i i 100 don't believe um I, I don't really believe in it, but I don't believe it's bullcrap, I guess. You know, I'm kind of up in the air about it. I am leaning more towards mistaken identity just because I deal with mistaken identity all the time. I have people texting me every single week that they have a damn anaconda in their backyard. Huh. And I promise you it ain't. It's a native brown water snake that's maybe five foot, you know? So it's it's hard to say. I mean, they're know, seeing I, something because the legend continues. So people continue yeah. to see something. They just don't know what it is. Believe, you know, they want to believe that bad where they'll, they'll make it. So, but you know, who knows? I would expect someone like myself or even just a recreational hunter would have a killed one by now. Right. Would have got, uh, uh, you know, undisputable trail cam footage of one by now. 
we have all these cellular cameras, we have all this other stuff, you know, and and now the new thing with how people refute that is, Oh, Bigfoot's an alien. Well, see, I don't, I don't go into that (laughs) at all. I don't, I don't go into that at all. Like I I don't, that's where they totally lose me on the, the alien and that they can sense cameras and stuff like that. Uh, I don't think that. And then, then where I kind of, kind of got, to uh to where i was like i don't know i I don't know if this is real i mean they're seeing something but you got trail cameras all over the united states and you're seeing things like wow like for example uh people capture mountain lions on trail cameras all the time and people are like i had no idea there were mountain lions in this area but here we've got pictures of them lots of pictures hundreds of pictures of these mountain lions in areas that people thought that they didn't exist and haven't seen one in in 100 years and but they're there because of the cameras so why can't you get a bigfoot or or a skunk ape or whatever so i don't i don't know maybe maybe they are super smart i don't know but i don't think they're smart enough to not see a trail camera because the dude that robbed robbed my neighbor's garage didn't see the trail camera either <laughs> you know and and uh and they're like you know you get caught you don't see it yeah hey for sure yeah so so tell me about the tell me about the youtube and stuff how's that grown uh, I know I just had Ben Friedman on the show and that's one of the r- way that he kind of helped me get hooked up with you. Um, cool. I know you've done a lot of work with him and and he told, yeah. kind of told us in this audience about how he had seen your, your uh, online presence grow, but has that been fun for you? Do you, what do you think about all that? Yeah, it's, um, it's been crazy for sure. It's been, I had no idea, you know, I've been doing this forever and I just barely posted on Facebook before. And, uh, what really started it was I got in the Python program and, um, I rescued an alligator from being killed by a Python. So there's this alligator with a, you know, 11, 12 foot Python wrapped around it, strangling it. And, um, this was actually the third time I've done this, the third alligator I've rescued, but the first two, I just didn't get on video. I wasn't wow. in the video. Everything. I had a gentleman with me and he videotaped the whole thing. He sent it into the news and it just, it went viral. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. the news covered it and all this. And then I don't know if you're familiar with Flowgrown. Yeah. Yeah. Florida company. Yeah. So shout out to Flowgrown. Uh, they're awesome, man. The owner of Flowgrown reached out to me. And he's like, dude, you don't have an Instagram. What are you doing? He's like, I just made you an Instagram. I'm going to send you a whole bunch of shirts and stuff, wear them, whatever. He didn't even care about that. Um, and he's like, start posting. He's like, dude, it's going to be life changing. I promise. So um, he shared me. He got me like a quick, maybe uh, almost a thousand followers just from some of the videos I posted. You know, it was going really good. He's like, dude, the response is great. He goes, you're going to kill it. So I just kept going with it and, and yeah, it's just exploded from there. Um, I had no idea the opportunities, you know, it would present to me, the doors it would open and things like that. And, um, it's actually become super fun for me. I really enjoy showing people, spreading the awareness, um, interacting with people that are following me and everything like that. Dude, I love it. You know I mean? It's very cool for me. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. 
Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Yeah, well, you're you're good at it, and you you're you're bringing in some kind of education as well. So you're kind of like the 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 Everglades Steve Irwin. Like, I mean, you're kind of I mean, you really are. Like, you're, you're certainly not the Everglades Turtle Man. You know, like Turtle Man was like he was just so out there that that. I don't know. I, I mean, it was like people wanted to watch the train wreck, you know, it was like, yeah. this is, but, but you're bringing like a, a different kind of deal to it. Like the, the education and you're speaking real clearly and everybody can understand what you're doing. And, and then you're, you're actually producing and then you're doing crazy stuff like, like catching bees. And I mean, you got all these different, how do you know how to do all this stuff? How do you just catch whatever? A lot of it, like for the bees, man, I can't even, you know, take credit for that by any means. Um, a buddy of mine, the bearded beekeeper, he, you know, they see me doing these videos. Yeah. Again, another character that you couldn't mess up, that you couldn't make up. <laughs> they see me doing these videos, you know, and, and everything like that. And uh, they know they have a bunch of knowledge to share. I have just a real basic knowledge on it, but I have a hunger for it all. And, you know, I guess at the end of the day, I, I, I got the courage to be covered in bees and all that, to step outside my comfort zone and to do these different things with all these different people um, to kind of, you know, continue showing different areas of conservation and wildlife that, hey, I'm even learning something along with y'all. You know what I mean? When I went and did the, uh, the bee thing with my buddy, which we have a, um, I have a YouTube video going to be coming out soon about it. I can't uh, begin to tell y'all how much I learned. You know what I mean? I learned a ton that I didn't know about bees. Um, and it was really cool for me. We actually, we got a video, which uh, I've, he says he's never seen this in the wild and especially on video. We got a queen hatching in the nest and joining the nest as the new queen, Wow, which is like a huge deal. So, you know, we get cool stuff like that, that people have never seen. And, um, it's, it's, it's cool, man. It's fun for me to branch out and do these different things that, you know, I'm, I'm not a beekeeper. I'm not yeah. no bee expert. Now, since that video, um, I'm, I'm about to actually bring some bees out on my ranch and start my whole little bee colony. So, uh, you know, you guys gotta get to kind of see me learn as I grow, I guess. Well, I think that's really cool. And I think that you got, you got a super future in it, man. You could, you could take this wherever you want to go with it. I mean, you got, you're, you're, you got the contract on being able to hunt in all these different places. And then that yields itself to some crazy stories just, yeah. just by itself. And then you're capturing it on video. That's cool. Let's talk about trapping real quick uh, because trapping is harder than people think. Like you don't Absolutely. just set a trap and the thing comes in. Like you got to be super careful about the scent and what's the hardest animal to trap. Um, it's all relative to be honest with you. I've, I've trapped, you know, um, coyotes are, are hard for sure. Um, but it just all depends on the trap you're able to use, I guess, you know, there's methods that make any animal almost easy hmm. and every animal is different. So it's kind of hard to say, you know, this species harder than the other, because I may have a hog like right now, for example, I'm dealing with old Rocky, the raccoon. He has a name because I've been chasing after this sucker for the last month and a half and I haven't been able to trap him. I haven't been able to shoot him. I haven't been able to get my dogs on him. And he's just a freaking magician. <laughs> so, you know, if this may seem like the hardest animal to trap, but raccoons are generally pretty easy for me. Yeah. So it, it's really all relative. You know what I mean? Um, wildlife's wild. Every single one's different. 
Well, what you said, you said something there that I don't want to gloss over. You said there's methods that makes almost any animal easy. So what did you mean by that? Well, for example, coyotes are very hard to trap, but that's if you're using like a cage trap. If you're setting a snare and, a, and a, you dig a little hole and I put some scent down in that hole, I'm going to probably catch that coyote. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of areas, I'm not allowed to use a snare because I might catch, you know, old, old Betty's dog over here or, or I might catch, you know, something else that I'm not supposed to catch. Right. So, um, you know, it's, it's usually overcoming the obstacles you have is the real challenge. You know what I mean? Is, um, you have people that frequent this area all the time, walking through here, putting scent all over your trap, scaring away your wildlife, possibly tampering with your trap, but this is the only area I can trap. So, you know, it's every job's different. Every, every scenario is, you know, more challenging than the next. Yeah. Interesting. I know that, you know, some of the trappers like out West, those guys, like when trapping, trapping beaver and trapping other things, like they would tell me that, you know, you gotta be super, super careful about how you lay this trap down and you know, your scent trail and everything that you got to do. Cause you can do everything almost right. And then you can mess it up with your scent trail. You catch nothing. Yeah. Especially with an animal that's seen a trap before, you know what I mean? Yeah. They're very, very worried. That's why a lot of times I like putting a cam train, uh, a trail camera on my trap because I have tons of videos of just animal coming up, sniffing around my trap, looking, walking around it, and then just walking away, you know, just because they knew something was up. Yeah. They might sit there for, I've had them sit there for 45 minutes, an hour deciding, you know, and then they just walk. Away. Wow. It's, it's cool to see, you know what I mean? It really is the different behaviors and some are just dumb as, as it gets, just walk on in, you know, bump into the trap, look at the thing and just, they're done, you know? And then some, I've had some that get trapped and then find a way to break out, you know? Yeah. It's, I've had some that get trapped and their buddy comes along and lets them out. Really? Dude, it's on, especially with raccoons. That's what I would think that was what you were talking about because a raccoon, man, a raccoon is like, I don't know, just camping around raccoons. They get your food. Like you, they, they're going to get your food. You hang it from like a bear pole or whatever, and you wake oh, yeah. up in the middle of the night, and there's one shimmying down the 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 line and Those ripping up. Top of each other. Yeah, it's crazy. It's they are so fun. smart. They're, They're so smart. Fun. I've I've had a few as pets, and that's what really made me realize, like, <laughs> dude, these things are stupid smart, like crazy smart. You yeah. know what I mean? They're, about, it's like a little four or five year old. What about that little squirrel you got as a pet that's on your hat and <laughs> stuff? Do you still have him? right now yeah he's hanging around <laughs> he hangs around with you all the time yeah he's in his cage right now but yeah he's cool i just um i took him out the other day he was running up in the trees and all that comes back to me and so yeah, how did cool. how did you get him is that an injured animal or one that you had to trap or what what's the story uh, with this squirrel um, a concerned citizen actually reached out to me uh they were in a park and this little baby squirrel like came up to them and climbed up them he was all skinny and sickly looking and I'm sure they were probably freaked out by this thing, you know, this squirrel running up them. And they could they could see that there was something up with it, you know what I mean? So they called me. I think what happened is someone in the area um, found a squirrel that fell out of a nest. They raised it up, and they knew they couldn't take care of a squirrel. So when they thought it was big enough to be on its own, they let it loose. It, it wasn't quite ready. Um, so I, I got it from them. I raised it up, and he's just like, still crazy friendly where it makes me a little nervous to let him go. Um, on my ranch, you know, I, I have a lot of squirrels and they do fine, but 
I'm bordering a uh, 10 acre sanctuary for hawks and owls. Oh. <laughs> so if he's not real smart, he's going to get, you know, turn into some owl poop. Yeah, for but, sure. Owls are. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of still deciding what I want to do with them. I think what I'm going to do is build them a nice big enclosure outside where it's got like, you know, little tree in it and stuff like that where he feels like he's in the wild, but he's still protected. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Well, listen, uh, we got to do this again because you got so many stories and we barely, we barely, we didn't even, we didn't even go through the, the catching the giant, the giant one. I mean, the, the, the snake that you caught, it was, we we just kind of touched on it for a second, but it was 135 pounds and, and 17 feet long. And, and, uh, the thing bit you in the arm and you look like you were about to bleed out. I mean, and what was really cool about that snake is, you know, most of these pythons, there's people are catching them on the side of the road or on the side of the levee. This thing was out in the middle of the Everglades. I had to take my little 14 foot John boat, you know, out there hunting these islands. They're called spoil islands. And um, on one of the islands here, here I am, this monster stretched out, you know, she just ate something. She looked like she ate a big old raccoon. And, um, it's, was like the most epic find ever. And what was really cool about it is it's during the day too. Really? So during the day, they're more fired up. They got more energy. They're usually a little more aggressive and it's a much harder of a capture. And being that she was on an Island in the vegetation makes that capture 10 times harder for me. That's what it's all about, dude. I love challenging myself. I love the battle. You know, I love afterwards being like, you know, I got it done. It wasn't easy. So that was definitely one of those moments. It was not easy, you know, not only the capture part of it, taking the bite, getting her off, trying my best not to lose consciousness, consciousness from all the blood loss. Um, because I was, I was, dude, I was spraying like a fountain. Um, and, um, and not only that, but then afterwards dragging her all the way back to my freaking all 135 pounds of her. I weigh 135 pounds to give you an idea. <laughs> all 135 pounds of her 95 degrees in the shade, you know, with, with, I don't know how much I say a gallon of blood. I don't know how much blood, you know what I mean? A good amount for sure. Um, it, it definitely was not easy, you know what I mean? But that's dude, that's what I love. And Hey, we got a cool video out of it. So, so you're, are you hunting mostly by yourself and you're doing something like that by yourself? Maybe you take a dog with you or something, but you're pretty much by yourself. Uh, for the pythons, they don't allow me to bring dogs. Um, if if they started letting me use dogs, I'd be catching five times the pythons I am. Really? Now. So what would a dog do? How how would a dog help you to that degree with a python? Um, how I envision it is I would be driving the levee in my truck. I would have a dog on each side of the levee. And all the pythons that I'm passing that are covered by vegetation, which there's a lot of them, or down in holes, they would stop and and they would basically point like a bird dog and stay like, you know, six to 10 feet away. From and they them. smell them. They're, it's not, they're not seeing them. They're smelling them, right? They're smelling them. Yeah. Wow. And so yeah. training those dogs, God, I've got so many questions. We got to do this again, but um, training your dogs to hunt reptiles. Is that, I mean, are, are you kind of, I don't, do other people do that? Do, or is this kind of a newer thing or I, I how did you, okay. So how did you, how did you kind of do it? Um, well, the dog either has it or he doesn't. Right. I mean, um, you'll have a pointing type dog or whatever. Right. And then, then you have to train them on that, that particular scent. Right. Yeah. So, so the Python is extra tricky. And I actually, I've been training two dogs to do it, um, recently to do it in a private aspect outside of 
my state contract because I know I want to basically show this is what y'all are missing out on. Um, and going back to my, they either got it or they don't. I had two uh, pointing dogs donated to me and they don't got it. Mm-hmm. Um, they definitely don't. I got them a little too late in age. Um, and they just, they don't show the interest. They don't have the drive for it. And they don't really have the, I guess, reptile nose. I don't know. You know what I mean? And it's all about exposure. It's about putting in the, them in these controlled scenarios, seeing how they do rewarding, um, you know, the behavior you want. And a lot of times it's, it's hard to, you know, kind of get them to do the behavior you want, you want for sure. And that's when it goes back to, you know, they got it or they don't, you know, if you, if I put a bag that's got, had a Python in it next to him and he, he's sniffing, sniffing, and he sniffs right past it and is a lot more interested in the squirrel, it's going to be a, a struggle for me. And that's what I've been dealing with these dogs. Even, even for the birds, they, they don't have a whole bunch of interests. Um, they're just, they don't have the hunting drive in them. Most likely I'm going to, I'm going to rehome them as pets, um, or maybe as like part-time bird dogs. And I have my eye on, I don't know if you're familiar with my dog, Otto, who I use for the iguanas and the Egyptian geese. What kind of dog Um, is that? Uh, he's a, he's a technically a German wire hair pointer. Both his parents are draw hearts. The only reason he's not considered a draw heart is because he doesn't have the tattoo on his ear because he's not registered under the German system. Okay. Um, we're looking at another dog from, from the same breeder that would be registered, which that's not going to make any difference. He'll have a tattoo. That's it. But, um, Otto's amazing. I put him on monitors, iguanas, you know, deer, anything. He does it all. So we're going to, we're looking to get a, a, one of those puppies. We're most likely going to shell out some money for it. Probably about two grand. They're not cheap. And, um, start training them from a puppy, how I like to do it. I got these dogs I have now um, that aren't working out at like 10 months old. They sat in a kennel their whole life from the guy I got them from. They didn't even have names. So they didn't have proper brain development or, or even hunting skills development. So it was a big challenge to start out with. But, um, you know, going back to what you said, as far as how do you do it, it's, it's yeah, exposing them to it and just a lot of, a lot of work, a lot of bonding and, and slowly showing them what you want and, and having it click in their brain. Yeah. With the hogs and things like that, it's a lot easier because I'm not really teaching them to stay away from it and point it and things like that. Um, I just want you to, to use your instincts to go out there, find it and catch it, you know, which is usually a little easier to train. They just got to have grit. They got to have balls, you know? Right. And maybe if you, if you are able to, I mean, that's kind of what you alluded to is if you are able to show on video how many more snakes you might be able to catch, then maybe they would allow you to use the dogs. Exactly. Right. And, you know, it'll help in the private aspect because it's their pythons aren't just out in the Everglades. Um, you know, I was dealing with a python in a, in a daily park um, maybe about a year ago or so. And um, I caught a, a 13 foot North African rock python in the middle of a Miami neighborhood. Oh, so, and there is a breeding population of them there every few years or so one is spotted. Wow. And so some people there are like, my dog's missing or like well, something's um, going my, on. Like there's six dogs missing from this neighborhood. <laughs> we got a problem. Is uh, five years prior to the one I caught, which is why they took the sighting of the one that I caught so seriously for five, five years prior um, a family went in their backyard. Their their Siberian husky had a twelve foot python, North African python, wrapped around it. The dog was already dead. 
Um, and the homeowner grabbed a big knife, started slashing and stabbing the snake that was wrapped around the dog. Didn't even phase it. Um, he saw that he was doing nothing to the snake. So he called authorities. Authorities quickly got there, shot the snake. Dog was, you know, done for. Um, and I think a week after that, the county came out to mow an easement on the side of that home and they chopped up another North African wow. pipe. So there's a big like 10 acre wooded lot there that definitely has a population of them in it. Um, when I got the report that, you know, hey, we're seeing this huge constrictor, I got a picture and I was like, that looks a little funny. I did a little research and I'm like, it's a North African rock python. I'm like, there was one five years ago caught there. So I staked it out for two days. Um, at night, I would be python hunting in the Everglades. And then in the morning, I would be in the neighborhood with my binoculars scanning for this python to come out and sun. I knew because it's a North African rock python, they really, really like heat. So I figured he was going to be out sunning closer to 11 and noon where Burmese pythons, it would normally be too hot for. Sure enough, 1130, I'm scanning. And it's funny because it played out exactly in my mind as like, or it played out exactly as I thought it would in my mind. I'm scanning with these binoculars. I see an object. I didn't remember being there 20 minutes prior, just this big dark thing. And I'm like, I don't think it is, but let me hop out and look. Cause there's a lot of trash all in there. As I like, I'm getting, you know, maybe 30 feet from it. I can see the shimmer and I'm like, Oh fuck, that's him. Run back to my truck to grab my phone. I'm like, I got to get a picture and video of this run back to my truck to grab my phone, run back. Like, you know, I'm panting, dude, my heart's pounding. Cause I know this, these things are notoriously aggressive, notoriously quick. I get within maybe 10 feet of it, like recording a little video and the video is on my Instagram and my highlights. And this thing just starts lunging at me, like attacking me. Wow. And I've never had a Python do that. You know what I mean? Normally they're trying to get away from you or they lay there, you grab them and then they start attacking you. This thing, as soon as it seen me coming at me, um, wrestling with it, spraying poop everywhere, all, all started to wrap around my head because I'm videotaping. So I got it off of me. It actually was struggling so hard, it prolapsed its anus out. Wow. So there's this huge grapefruit hanging out of the back, rubbing it all over my face. You know what <laughs> I mean? It's gross. And that shows you how hard it's fighting. And um, there was actually um, a gentleman and, and some lady um, sitting on the hood of their car, smoking a doobie. And, <laughs> and dude, I come up off the ground with this fucking alien around me, you know, and he wrapped around me spraying shit everywhere. And they, they look at me, do they both get in their car and just peel out gone? <laughs> they didn't ask me if I'm all right. Nothing, dude. Just cleared the freaking scene. I thought it was funny. And um, so I'm wrestling with this thing. I eventually get it back over to my truck. By this time, the whole freaking community is coming out. Little kids, like their grandmothers are grabbing them, pulling them away. And, um, you know, it was definitely a sight to see. And uh, I had to euthanize it, obviously. Um, it's, a, it's, an, it's an illegal species. And what was like a real wake-up moment for me is I've always been big on like, you know, yeah, these pythons are dangerous for the ecosystem, but people don't got to worry. You know, they're not going to eat your kids, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's all bullcrap hype. Dude, there was kids 50 feet away from me playing basketball. If their basketball rolled past that snake, right. they, they wouldn't have seen it. They would have walked up to get their basketball, 
without a doubt, that snake would have attacked one of those kids and would have overpowered them, no question. Whether it would have eaten them or not, probably not. It probably would have been too big. But that snake 100% could have killed one of those kids. And to me, that was like, damn, maybe I, I shouldn't be playing it off and, and you know acting like it's all hype because they can be dangerous, man. It really can. And that was like a big moment where it's like, we got to be careful of these snakes in the communities 100%, not just for dogs. Wow. I mean, they don't get, I mean, a Siberian Husky is definitely the size of a child and yep. they don't get that big by, I mean, you're saying that, that a, a two-year-old is eight feet long. I mean, that's, that's fast growing and they don't grow. Nothing grows fast without eating a lot. You know, yeah. like, like a mahi-mahi in the ocean is the fastest growing fish. There's a reason why it is constantly eating. Like it never stops eating and, yeah. and it grows real fast, but. I don't know. Well, you're doing cool stuff. You're doing cool stuff and uh, protecting the uh, the environment, which I think is cool. I love the conservation angle to it and getting rid of the invasive species. I think a lot of people probably learned a ton about why some of these species need to go and why they're exploding in in numbers like they are. Um, so it was cool, cool conversation, man. If uh, if people want to support you and you know, follow you, tell them again, how they follow you. And if, if there is any way to support your efforts and what you're doing, like you said, you need this new puppy. Uh, is there a way that people could help with that and donate money or whatever? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, you know, I have people uh, trying to donate a lot. I've always felt funny about accepting cash like that. I'm big. I'm a very proud person. I like feeling like I've earned everything I have. I don't want any handouts. Um, but what I have started doing is offering merchandise and yeah. things like that. And I sell leather products and all that. Uh, you can find that on my website, pythoncowboy.com. Uh, my leather products, I get batches here and there, and they sell out almost instantly. So um, you got to really keep an eye on my Instagram and my website for your chance to get those. Uh, there's, there's a batch on there now to give you a little bit of an idea, but that's 1% of what I offer. Um, and then of course my Instagram Python cowboy. And right now what's real big for people supporting me is watching my YouTube. I get paid for ads and everything like that. So watch my videos and, uh, let's get some money in my pocket. Right. <laughs> subscribe, subscribe. And then yeah, you yeah, can see subscribe. him train up, train up this new puppy. If you get that new puppy, that'd be a whole cool, uh, series of videos, just training it. Like, how do you, how do you do Without that? That'd be, that'd be pretty cool. I got, I love training dogs. I got a moose too. He's right. He's asleep right there. But my, awesome. my moose is a chocolate lab. And like yesterday was my birthday and somebody popped a balloon and moose freaked out. Like, I don't know, Gus, I've got two dogs right in front of me. Gus is the hunting dog. Moose is his younger brother, but I don't know if moose has got anything in him, man. He, he's a great pet, yeah, but for bird hunting. Yeah. He's a great pet, but man, he's, he's scared of his shadow. He's scared of the leaf blower. He's scared of balloons popping. He's scared of the vacuum cleaner. He's scared of everything. That makes it tough. Yeah. Sure. We've been lucky with Otto. He, dude, sounds don't bother him at all. But um, Allie, that's Allie's area of expertise is like, she's really dived deep into training these bird dogs. I, I'm, I don't know anything about it really. Yeah. A little bit, but not much. Um, and she's the one that trained, you know, Otto for the Egyptian geese. And it's, seems like just real slow exposure and working your way up. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah. Tough. that's cool, man. Well, listen, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. And good luck. I'm sure you're going out tonight to go catch something crazy 
and uh, I hope you don't get bit. Oh, the one thing I wanted to ask you—you're doing most of this barehanded on your on your Instagram. Do you do you not wear gloves for a reason? Do they usually just go right through the gloves, or what? Why do you not wear gloves? Um, so my number one concern is not losing this animal and not hurting the animal. The best way for me to make sure of that is by not hindering my hands with any kind of bull crap. Um, gloves get in the way, like you wouldn't believe in all kinds of different scenarios, getting caught up on vine structures, hard, hard to grab and they slip out of your hands. It's just not good. So, um, you know, I, I prefer not to wear the gloves a hundred percent. Now, sometimes if I'm bare handling a, a raccoon or something like that, where I know, He's going to bite me. I have no choice but to kind of reach in the cage. Dude, raccoons are vicious. I, I have specific raccoon gloves I wear. <laughs> but, you know, there have been times where I've barehanded raccoons and I've paid the price for it and uh, had a, have had a few rabies shots as well. Mm. So. Mm, mm. All right, man. All right. Well, I hope you don't get bit tonight, but I'm probably pretty sure that you're going to. So uh, I hope it won't go in too deep. And uh Anyway, it was great great to uh, get to know you a little bit and hear some stories. I hope we'll do this again. And everybody go follow Trapper Mike. He's a really cool dude. He's He can learn a lot from his Instagram and his videos. I know I have. So uh, anyway, Mike, thanks a lot. And we'll see you guys next week. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.